Father, such a truthful word. We fall apart were it not for you. Oh, how we need you. And even in this hour where we open up your word, we need you to speak to us, God. We are reminded that we have a thousand voices in our ears and in our hearts. We need you. We need you, Jesus. Speak to us and orient us towards your righteousness that is given to us in Christ by your grace and for your glory. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, welcome. Welcome to Restoration. If you've never been here before, we are mindful of the fact that in Washington, D.C., there's a lot of going and coming in the summer. And so uh, if you're here this morning for the first time, second time, welcome. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it is my joy to serve you this morning by taking a look at the Word. And uh, we're going to start this morning's sermon by just asking you the question what your morning routine is or what your daily routine is. What's your daily routine? What is the kind of things that you do to kind of go about your day, begin your day as you go on your day? What do you do? We all have routines. We all sort of go about those things uh, regularly. We all have them. So I wonder what yours is. So let me see if I can take a guess at most of yours daily routine. Um, Maybe you wake up and one of the first things you do is get that dratted phone out. Once you wake up and you go and you look at that phone and you look at your Twitter, your Facebook, your Instagram, your emails, and you just sort of peruse what has happened as I've been asleep. And after doing that, you wake up, maybe you take a shower and you get ready, go in, maybe pull a bowl of cereal and maybe you turn on TV or maybe you look even more at that phone, uh, sort of seeing, perusing more what happened throughout the, uh, the last day as you've been sleeping. Maybe you spend some time there. I hope you do. I trust many of you do spend some time in a devotional right there in that moment. At which time you then wake up or get up and then you go off to work, maybe, and uh, you maybe go, go on the bus or you get in your car and you go. And as you go, you listen to some music on the radio or maybe you put your headphones in, you listen to a good podcast, some good music on the way. You eventually make your way into the office and as you do, you walk in the office, you say hello to people. Then you sit down at your desk wherein you'll stare at a screen for the better portion of the day, flipping back and forth between spreadsheets and websites. And eventually you come to the end of the day and as you leave to go home, you do something similar to what you did when you came in. Listen to some music, maybe another podcast on the way home. And eventually get back home and then you make some dinner. And as you're making dinner, maybe you turn on the TV and after you do that, you maybe watch a TV show or two or three that you really like and maybe a movie. And then you go to sleep and you wake up and do something similar the next day. Now, I'm sure that that routine does not describe all of us. But I'm sure a lot of it describes a lot of us, doesn't it? And so in response to that, here's the question I have for us. Where is the quiet in our lives? Where's the solitude? In particular, where are those moments of peacefulness and stillness before God? You know, we think about the psalmist that said, be still and know that I am God. Where are those moments in your life? And if most of us don't regularly have these moments of quietness, What is the constant noise and stimulation doing to us? What's it doing to us? Author William Powers writes in his book, uh, Hamlet's Blackberry, about an experience he had when he uh, got off his phone. He was driving to see his mother, whom he hadn't seen in a while, and he called her to let her know that he was going to be late. And uh, they share a sort of chuckle or two, and then he gets off the phone. And then after this, as he's sitting in his car in stillness and in quiet, 
he has this moment of emotional rush wherein he remembers the love of his mom and how much he enjoys her. It's a sweet moment. And he goes on to then comment about that and digital connectivity as a whole. And he says, quote, the gap in between my call to mom and the payoff it yielded is tremendously significant. This link between the gadget and quiet reflection is completely overlooked in the current thinking about technology with its unexamined faith in nonstop connectedness. And Powers goes on to say, quote, like many others, I'd been dutifully towing the line, allowing digital connect- connectedness to reshape my life without asking if it was the kind of life I really wanted. The more connected I was, the busier I became attending to all the people, information and tasks that the device bring within our reach. And this had two distinctly negative effects. First, as the gaps between my digital tasks disappeared, so did the opportunities for depth. Screen life became more rushed and superficial and nonstop mental traffic jam. And second, because I was spending so much time in the digital sphere, I was less able to enjoy my own company and the places and the people right around me, unquote. And so, friends, we're not going to be talking about digital connectivity this morning, but we are going to be talking about a a kind of connectivity that gives us depth. It gives us depth. We live in a world of constant noise and constant distraction. And not only are we constantly distracted in the day today, we also live in a day wherein it's more common for us to be uh, constantly moving around. We're in, we're moving cities every two or three years, moving jobs every two or three years, moving, uh, uh, relationships every two or three years. We're constantly moving around. And again, I ask the question, what is all of this doing to us? And I think the answer to that is, is making us more and more thin as a people. We don't have the kind of deep community, deep friendships, deep thinking, deep loving. Therefore, we are often a thin people that are often dissatisfied, sort of wanting to stay at the level of entertainment. And so the question is, as Christians, what do we do about all of this? What do we do? How can we counter the culture of thinness? Well, I think Jesus would give us two answers. Uh, at least two answers. He would say first, I think, I think he would tell us that we need to be meaningfully involved as Christians inside of biblical community. And by that, I don't mean just joining a church. I mean uh, growing in our depth and knowledge of God and growing in our depth and knowledge of one another. Uh, and I think the second thing that he would say is the thing that we're going to discuss this morning. I think he would encourage us towards private prayer. Private prayer. Prior, private prayer is that gap that Powers uh, enjoyed in meditating on his mom in the stillness of his car. Uh, That gap, he said, that we're losing, that gap that's making us thin. And private prayer is not only something I think we see modeled in Jesus, we'll see that, but I think it's something we also see him mention, talk about in the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you haven't already, go ahead and turn there to Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 6, wherein we are in our second week of a short series on prayer. It's our practice here at Restoration Church to work through books of the Bible, preach to those expositionally, but we're taking some time to just consider prayer. Um, And so last week we talked about how we needed to have our orientation in prayer shifted a bit. We needed to understand that prayer was less about trying to get God to answer us in our lives and more trying to enter into what God is doing in His world. We're answering God, we talked about that. How we need to understand our lives are entering in His story. Not trying to manipulate him to get into ours. Prayer is answering God. And so today, as I said, we're going to be talking about private prayer. Uh, we're going to see how answering God fits in together for the depth of our souls and the glory of God. Take a look there, Matthew chapter 6, 
verse 5. This is Jesus speaking. And he says this. Words of our Lord. And when you pray. You must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. That they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you they have received their reward. But when you pray. Go into your room and shut the door. And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret. Will reward you. And when you pray you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. That they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you they have received their reward. But when you pray. Go into your room and shut the door. And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now it's not hard to see friends. What Jesus is driving at in this passage. There are these religious professionals that are praying. So that they could get favor from people. Their motive is off. It's wrong. And they're using God and they're using the things of God for gain amidst man. They're acting like they're loving God, but in reality, they love people more than God. That's verse 5. Their public prayers are sort of like a Beyonce concert. It's just a big performance. That's all it is. They weren't doing it to commune with God, but to gain praise from man. And so Jesus says of them in verse 5, they've received their reward, which is the praise of the people. And in comparison to the reward that Jesus will talk about in verse 6, it pales in comparison, this praise of people, praying for the praise of people. It pales in comparison. It's sort of like one of those trinkets, those plastic trinkets you get in a Cracker Jacks box. It's thin, it's cheap, and it breaks really easily. Verse 6 is the correction of Jesus. It points to the real reward because it points to the real motive in prayer. Go into your prayer closet, as it were, Jesus is saying there. Pray out of sight of anyone, but God, He will see you. And so he's contrasting the public prayers of performance for the praise of man with the private prayers that are done for the praise of God. And friends, that's the first and most important thing we learn about private prayer. Private prayer promotes an environment of authenticity wherein we go to God for God. We go to God for God. Private prayer promotes that kind of an environment wherein we're going to God for God, to meet with God. Public prayer or public religion, when it is done for personal gain, is superficial, it's thin, it's weak. You can fake it. And it results in a kind of shiny fool's gold. It's worth nothing. It's worth nothing. Private prayer, though, on the other hand, when done for the purposes of meeting with God for God, it promotes a more meaningful environment of picturing the reality of where our souls are before God. You cannot fake private prayer because God knows our hearts. There's no reason to fake it because God knows us and nobody else is seeing us. Now, to be clear, friends, we should have public prayer. We've done that this morning. But we also should have private prayer. Private prayer. Private prayer more discernibly reveals where our treasure actually lies. We find in John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they may know you and the Son of whom you have sent. And so if you are praying in secret, it reveals you not only know the Father and Son, but it reveals that you want to know Him more. When you go in there and meet with Him in your private prayer closet, as it were. Private prayer measures whether or not we actually know God and we want to know Him more. And so if we give ourselves to it, then the God who is in secret, that is to say out of sight, He sees that we want Him for Him. 
and he's glad. There's a great story of a pastor by the name of Samuel Chadwick who lived in the early 1900s, who pastored in the early 1900s. And he tells a story of when he was a little boy. And he was sent on an errand uh, when he was a little boy to a neighbor's house. He's going to go over there to a Mrs. Davenport. And he goes over there and he knocks on the door of Mrs. Davenport's house. And nobody answers. And so little Samuel then creeps inside the house himself and he sees there's nobody there. It's all quiet until he notices uh, sitting, kneeling actually, at a chair next to the hearth is Mrs. Davenport praying. And little Samuel Chadwick, just a boy, sees that. And Mrs. Davenport doesn't take any notice of Samuel. doesn't see that he's there. And he stares at her, Samuel does. And then he quietly makes his way back out of that house. And Samuel Chadwick writes some 60 years later. He says, I still remember that moment. And I know that Mrs. Chadwick was a saint of God because she prayed in private. I'll be clear, friends, there's nothing magic about praying in private. It's not as though private prayers are somehow worth more than public prayers. And even though we're even talking about private prayer, Jesus is not focusing here in this passage on the method as much as He's trying to teach us the motive of prayer. And the motive of prayer ought to meet with God for God. Private prayer more naturally promotes such a goal because it has no discernible reward since God is the only one that sees us when we privately pray. And so the reason why Chadwick said Mrs. Davenport must have been a saint of God and the reason why Jesus says the Father will reward those who pray in secret is because to pray in private is to reveal that the person treasures the one of whom they're praying to. It reveals that they treasure them. They must, since there is no other reward than meeting with God. And meeting with God, friends, is the goal of prayer because God is the goal of the Gospel. He's the greatest of all things. Our prayers are answering God in His work of spreading His glory all over the world. And Jesus wants us to then cultivate private prayer because He wants us to learn to go to God for God. And therein is the real reward. Getting God. Enjoying His presence. Jesus' point here in this passage is to contrast the reward of the praise of man in verse 5 with the reward of the praise of God in verse 6. And that is the true reward. That's the true reward. And we know that's the true reward because that's the context of this portion of the sermon. Just look down there at the very next thing that he says in verse 9. This model prayer. Many of you are familiar with this model prayer. What's the first thing he asks? What's the big request in the Lord's Prayer? The thing that governs the entire prayer. It's that the Lord's name or the Father's name would be hallowed. Hallowed the name. And then if we were to Walk on down a little bit to verse 19 and 20. We, we see that Jesus concludes this section of the sermon by saying, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And friend, is there a greater treasure in heaven than God Himself? He's it. And so, beloved, pray in private so as to promote the goal of your salvation, the praise of God in your heart and soul. Enjoy the reward of your salvation in private prayer. And He knows that God sees that and He will reward you with the greatest reward of all, more of Himself. Now, to be clear, we all in Christ have all that we need. But what I mean there in private prayer is we get more of Himself. I mean more discernible knowledge of His love for you and His will for your life. 
Yes, friends, there are other heavenly rewards, but all of them pale in comparison to this reward of knowing God and enjoying God. And those of you that have excelled in private prayer, you know what I'm talking about. The times in which you're just meeting with him, 10, 15, 20 minutes have gone by and it's in secret and silence. And you almost discernibly, almost audibly hear his voice and it's sweet to you. That's what private prayer does. And so give yourselves to private prayer because private prayer by its nature reveals that you love God for God since no one else can see you. But God sees you and he rewards you with more discernible knowledge and experience of his love for you, which leads us to the second reason why we should pray privately. We should pursue private prayer. Second reason, it should cult because it cultivates intimacy with God. First reason we said is, is we go to private prayer, as we're seeing in Matthew 6, because we, it sees, it reveals that we go to God for God. And secondly, private prayer helps cultivate intimacy with God. And so if we were to evaluate Jesus' life and ministry, if we were to go around and just sort of evaluate all the kinds of things that he's done, and sort of see what kinds of things is he doing repeatedly, one of the first things that we would notice is that Jesus is regularly pulling away to private prayer. Let me just skip a rock across aspects of our pieces of the Gospels. Look in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. You'll see it behind me. It says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Matthew fourteen twenty three says, And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Matthew 14, 13. Now when Jesus heard this, He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by Himself. Luke 4, 42. And when it was day, He departed and went into a desolate place. Luke 5, 15 and 16. But now, but he, but now even more, the report about Him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear Him and to be healed of their infirmities. But He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Of course, we could also call to mind right the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, right when he's pulling away for 40 days to fast and to pray. We could also call to mind the days, the, the hours leading up to the cross wherein he's pulling away again to private prayer. And you'll notice that in all of these situations, in these instances, the, the moment he's pulling away, crowds are coming in, there's been a death, uh, of someone that he loves, that's Matthew 14, 13, G- John the Baptist has died. Whatever the case may be, there's some kind of big uh, life aspect. So crowds being ministered to, healings happening, crosses coming, people dying. And what seems to be happening is, just as we talked about last week, when life pressed in around him, Jesus had this knee-jerk reaction to get away alone in a desolate place in order to pray and meet with his Father. And why did he have this reaction? Jesus, why did he have this knee-jerk reaction to get away alone and pray in the midst of these difficult circumstances or these exhausting circumstances? Well, the text doesn't tell us with any kind of specificity as to why he's doing this, but I do think we can piece together an answer. It seems as though he wanted, or maybe a better word to be used is he needed to cultivate intimacy with his heavenly Father in light of the earthly realities that were happening all around him. See, friends, we... It's easy for us to forget that Jesus, while he was fully God, he was also fully man. Right? Hebrews tells us he was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. And so just as we might have difficulty or were exhausted at the end of a long day ministering to crowds, or just as we might be burdened at the death of a loved one, so was Jesus. And he pulls away in those times 
and praise. And so since these private prayer sessions are on the heels of things like this, it would seem that Jesus needed desolate places so that he could intimately be refreshed, rekindled, and reoriented by the quiet love of his Father through private prayer. He needed to pull away to sort of be reoriented, reminded, rekindled, refreshed of God and his love for him. If we think about it even in our own lives, we do something similar, don't we? If we've been ministering to crowds all day, as I said, we sort of want to pull away, get alone. Right? If you have lost a loved one, you want to kind of pull back, don't you? And kind of sit privately. You want to go somewhere quiet. And why is it that way? I think it's because we instinctively recognize the need for our souls to be stilled in those moments. They're so hurried. They're so confused. They're so scattered. They're so hurt. We, need, uh, we recognize the need to sort of be still before God. We often say things like, I just need to get alone and think for a while. And we go, maybe uh, if we're able to, go on a quiet walk on a beach at night. We go take a hike, a quiet hike in the woods. Because we need some time to have our souls situated, focused in light of events. That's what Jesus seems to be doing. Only friends, Jesus knows that peace is not some abstract reality. Jesus knew that peace was found in the presence of His Father. And so amidst the chaos of life, He prioritized private prayer in desolate places so that He could be quieted by the love of His Father. Be quieted by the love of His Father. With all of the distractions and disappointments of His mission on earth, He needed to be reminded, refreshed, reoriented to why all of this mattered in the first place. And friends, there's no better place to do that than in the desolate places, in the quiet places. Places And once we get to those desolate places, once do we get those quiet places in light of the life pressing in around us, there's nothing better to do than to pray. Pray and meet with God. So if Jesus, friends, needed to regularly pull away to quiet places in order to pray in light of the circumstances of His life, how much more do we need to do the same? If Jesus needed to do this regularly, how much more do we need to do the same. Only friends, we don't need to wait for lengthy days or for crowds, uh, ministry to crowds. We don't need to wait for those times. We don't need to wait for hard news to do this. We We need to do this daily. We need to do this weekly. We have to. Otherwise, we'll shrivel up and die. We'll be thin. Just a puff of wind will blow us around. The disappointments and distractions of this world are so voluminous that we can hardly hear the voice of our God in the day-to-day. We need to be reoriented by His love. We need those gaps that William Powers was talking about to get depth, to be rooted down into the love of God, to reorient us to our mission in the world as Christians. And not only reorient us to the mission, but to remind us of the love of the Heavenly Father. Guys, this is why prayer, private prayer is so important. It first rehearses or reveals that we love God for God. And secondly, it positions us to hear the loving voice of our Heavenly Father amidst the distractions of our world as we quiet our souls before God. So a question for you. Friend, could it be that the reason why you are so internally troubled, so disquieted, is because you have not regularly quieted your soul before the love of your Heavenly Father? Could it be that you are so aware of your enemies, 
The voices of your enemies. You're so aware of the voices of your enemies. So aware of your own insecurities. So oriented by all that you are not. So guided by guilt. Could it be that you are so guided by these things because you have not pulled away to the desolate places in order to hear the voice of your heavenly Father who loved you enough to give you His only Son? Are you so aware of all the difficulty, all the insecurities that you've not, the reason for that is because you've not pulled away to listen to God and be oriented by His love, not those other voices. Friends, we are so drunk with the world that we can hardly walk a straight line. We teeter and we totter, believing a thousand lies of the evil one. Listening to those voices, being oriented by those voices. We go on believing that depth is found in the Bahamas. Or in a good night's sleep. Or in a new job. Or in a new city. And while those things may be helpful, they are not ultimately restful. Only the love of God, friend, will give you the rest that you need. Only Him. And unless you pull away from the world and pray, you will never have it. You will go on disturbed instead of being quieted by the love of God in private prayer. Jesus knew that. He knew that. That's why He regularly pulled away to desolate places and prayed. And that's why we must do the same. In December of this year, I'll celebrate 22 years without my dad. I was 22 when he died, so this will be the year in which I will have lived as long as he, as long as I knew him. And oh, what I wouldn't give to have just five minutes alone with him. Just me and him talking. See his face, hear his voice. To say something like, I love you, son. I'm okay. What that wouldn't do to quiet a hundred fears in my life. And if that would happen for just five minutes with my earthly father, how much more? Five minutes with my heavenly father alone. Here's the thing. My earthly father loved me a great deal. But my heavenly father loved me even more. And I know that because He sent His only Son to bring me home. And so if five minutes with my earthly father would quiet a dozen fears and promote confidence, how much more would it be if I spent five, ten, fifteen minutes a day in private prayer before my heavenly Father that loved me enough to give me His only Son? How would that then orient my soul and cultivate me to live for His glory? To quiet all of those lies that I believe so often. Give me confidence to live for the sake of His glory and the spread of His supremacy all over the earth. What would it do if I more regularly sat and listened to the voice of my heavenly Father? Because the reality is, friends, I know that my Heavenly Father not only loves me, but He likes me. How could He not that He would give me His only Son? And beloved, if you're trusting in Christ, the same is true for you. same is true for you. He loves you and He likes you. And the more that you know that, the more rest you will have in this chaotic world that is so full of lies and distractions. Fears. But you need to know it's going to demand that you slow down. That you regularly pull away to private prayer just as Jesus did. And after all, friends, isn't the privilege of prayer 
the goal of Jesus' coming. Stop and think about it. At the moment of Jesus' death, wherein He is sacrificing Himself for the sin of the world. As a substitute, hanging on the cross. In the moment of His death, what happens? The moment of His death, what happens? The veil is torn. How is it torn? You need to pay attention to that. How is the veil torn? It's torn not from the bottom to the top. It's torn from the top to the bottom. It is indicating something. It is saying something. The moment of Jesus' sacrificial death, it is symbolizing something. And what does it symbolize? Well, the temple was where the presence of God was said to be. And there was a curtain that was to keep man out away from the presence of God, symbolizing the reality of what happens between sinners who are then separated from their God. And there was only one priest that could go one time a year inside of that uh, a curtain to go inside to the presence of God only one time to atone for sins. And so when we see the veil being torn from top to bottom at the moment of Christ's sacrificial death for sin, so then we learn that Jesus is our great high priest. He has purchased our redemption from our sin and he has then offered his own blood to the, so that we who believe we could come on in anytime we want to meet with God. Gladly meet with God. Prayer then in that way is the reward of the gospel. It gives us unhindered access to the God that loves us. We can go in anytime we want to meet with Him. The one of whom our soul loves. The one of whom we are oriented by in the gospel. I love this. Tim Keller says that the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And that is the kind of access we have in Christ. I had to get an office We had to get an office as a church because my kids know that they have unhindered access to their dad who's working in the back room. Isn't that good? That my kids know they can come on in and say, look, dad, this thing I drew. Right? Take a look at it. Look at this Lego thing I built. And especially when they were two, three, and four, it weren't very good. But I didn't say, it's not good enough, go out there and work harder. It's not what I said. Right? What did I say? I said, come on in. Come on in. I'm glad they have, they don't have to dock. They don't have to say certain no color. They just come on in and they give me their offering, as it were. And I'm so happy. So happy. This is great, son. This is beautiful. This is awesome. And I hang it up. So it is with our lives. You think that you have to sort of perform for God. You have to have some sort of special access code word. You have to perform in such a way and then kind of have prayers that are said in certain ways in those private prayers in order to kind of make Him appealing to you or you appealing to Him. You don't. You don't. Bring in your little strange Lego creation. He's happy to see it. Bring in your drawing. Bring in your life. Your feeble life. Whatever it is. Come on in. He's happy to have you. You don't need all of the performance the religiosity of the world would teach you. You can look down in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, and you can see it's not even special words. You need one thing. You need Jesus. You need His grace to bring you in. And that's what you have if you're trusting in Christ. You can pursue Him in private prayer. And so friend, if you've come here this morning and you've always understood that to be with God is to sort of perform for Him in some way. I want you to see that's not true. You cannot perform good enough for your prayers to be heard. 
There's only one way that your prayers can be heard. There's only one way that you can go in and be with God. You need to be His Son. And you can't earn that. It happens by grace through faith in Christ. What you need is Jesus. So if you've been, if you've been trusting in other things to lead you in, listen, turn from your sin. Trust Jesus and let Him bring you in. And enjoy Him forever. Today is the day of salvation. Trust Christ to give you access and receive His love that you might be quieted by all the lies of the world in light of His glorious grace. And you can do that, by the way, by privately praying to Him even now. And if you are trusting Christ alone to give you access to God, then go to God in private prayer and meet with Him. Because it reveals by God's grace that in Christ, through uh, his work that you love him for him. He reveals that you love him for him as you go to him in private prayer. And secondly, private prayer is one of the best ways that you can cultivate intimacy with your heavenly father and be quieted by his love. And we must do this important work. We must give ourselves to public praying. and We must give ourselves to regularly privately pray so that we would be oriented, quieted by his love that we might then go out as Jesus did for the spread of his glory. I'm tempted to give you four or five practical ways of application. But I'm not. Because the most important thing that you need to hear is Jesus. Be quieted by His love. Be oriented by that. I'm striving so hard in the midst of of this sermon series to not guilt you into prayer. But I want you to see the gain of it. And be oriented by that. That you would go and meet with Him in private. That you would love Him for Him. And be quieted by his love. So, let's now go to him in public prayer. That we might then ask him to fuel us in private prayers. Let's pray. Father, what a glorious thing it is that we can say that. You're a personal God. Father, thank You for Jesus. That by His sacrificial death and resurrection, He gives us access to You. Oh, what joy it is to read, Father, even at the back end of the Bible in Revelation, how our prayers are being received. We've seen it time and again. And so God, by Your beautiful love, may we then Uh, be oriented by You in prayer through our regularly pulling away to pursue You privately in prayer so that it would be seen, so that we might have the reward of going to You for You. And secondly, that we might be quieted by Your love and oriented then towards You so that we would slough off all of the lies that we so often believe. Oh God, may we go into our private prayer closets this week not out of guilt, but out of gain. Gain of meeting with You. You are a good God. We thank You for the privilege of prayer. Fuel us this week. Fuel us next week and the years to come to be a church that prays publicly, but also prays privately. Just as Jesus did. We pray this in His name. Amen.